Good morning. It is Kale and Company Live right here on WKXL, nhtalkradio.com. You can find us at 1450 on the AM dial, 1039 FM in the Capital Region and beyond, and 1019 FM in uh, Manchester. Big booming signal into downtown Manchester, Goffstown, Bedford, Derry, Londonderry, you name it. You can follow us anywhere. Or if you're on vacation or uh, you want to uh, tell us, uh, tell your friends and relatives about us, uh, nhtalkradio.com, no matter where you are, uh, you can listen to WKXL. And uh, Kale and Company Live is presented by Northeast Delta Dental. Northeast Delta Dental has individual and family plans designed to fit your lifestyle. Learn more, learn more and find your plan at DeltaDentalCoversMe.com. If you're thinking about uh, investing or if you're already an investor, the uh, second half of our program today should be of interest to you. Our guest will be John M. Jennings, author of a, a new book called The Uncertainty Solution, How to Invest with Confidence in the Face of of the unknown. So uh, there you have it. Lots, lots of things happened uh, in local sports yesterday uh, that we want to uh, tell you about on this National Mimosa Day. Are you having one right now? If you are, yeah, you're luckier than I am. I'm not, by the way. I'm not having a mimosa right now, but uh, uh, maybe a little, uh, a little bit later on. It's also. National Piercing Day, and I'm not going anywhere near that one. Uh, local baseball on Monday. Concord High Crimson Tide over Bishop Girton, 18-1 in a game shortened to uh, five innings. Noah Treblowski, Treblowski, sorry Noah if I uh, butchered your name, Noah Charbolowski. All right, I think I have it that time, Treblowski. Uh, was the winning pitcher for the uh, Concord High Crimson Die. Not only did Noah win the game, he drove in four runs. Nader Wachter hit a grand slam and uh, drove in six runs in the ball game. Brooks Craig, two hits, two RBIs, scored three times. Tide scored 10 runs in the first inning and eight in the third to go to 11-4 and four, uh, on the baseball season. Uh, Bishop Brady... The Giants went to a 9-1 with a 16-4 victory over Raymond in five innings. Chris Grumbillis was the winning pitcher for the Giants yesterday. Uh, Mike Thresher, two hits, two RBIs. Bryce Miller, two hits, three RBIs. And Owen Thornton had two hits and two RBIs for the Bishop Brady Giants who are now 9-1. John Stark over Pembroke yesterday. Chase Philibot struck out 17 in seven innings, which is terrific. And if you think that's great, stand by for just a moment or two. Hayden Nunley uh, went two for four with a game-winning RBI for the Generals. John Stark now 7-6. and six. Pembroke drops to Three and ten. So, uh, as I told you, Chase Philibot of John Stark struck out 17 batters 
in seven innings. Softball yesterday. Concord over Bishop Girton, seven to nothing. Concord pitcher Maddie Wachter gave up one hit and struck out 18 batters. 18! Bishop Girton Cardinals, she struck out to set a new Concord High School record. 18 strikeouts in a seven-inning game. And if that was not enough, she drove in four runs at the plate. Tied softball team now 11-1 and on the season. Bo got by Merrimack Valley 6-5. to Hannah McGonigal with a grand slam on that one for Bo. Kaylee Kaiser 2-4 for four for Merrimack Valley. Bowen is now 8-4. and four. Falcons having a good season on the softball diamond, and Merrimack Valley is 6-5. And, and Bishop Brady defeated Raymond 4-1. Peyton Bryson of Brady struck out 12. Normally we'd be raving about that, which is great. Uh, Peyton, congratulations to you. But after we see uh, Matty Walker striking out 18, 12 is terrific, though. Peyton Bryson did it uh, with her arm and her bat. She went three for three with a home run, and she scored three times. Uh, Brady now at 500 with a record of six and six. Six up and six down for the Bishop Brady softball Giants. And all kinds of action going on. The girls lacrosse yesterday conquered over Nashua North by a score of 13-2. to And Bo defeated Kearsage 18-2. The Bo girls lacrosse team on the season now is 18, I should say 10-1. 10-1 after yesterday's 18-2 win over Kearsage. Bishop Brady beat Laconia 9-6. And uh, there was some boys uh, lacrosse action, too, on uh, Monday. Concord defeated Nashua North 16-6. Nate Doherty, seven goals in that one. Uh, Joey Tarbell, co-captain of the uh, Concord High Crimson Tide hockey team, had four goals. Carter Doherty, Hockey player, three goals. My good friend uh, Brody McGonigal had a goal and two assists for the Crimson Tide in their 16-6 shellacking of Nashua North. Bo, they defeated Kearsage to remain undefeated. The Bo boys lacrosse team now with a record of 11 wins and no losses, beating Kearsage 14 to 1 on Monday. Canyon Bachelor, three goals. Gavin McCabe, a goal and three assists. Ben Barubi, two goals and two assists. Brody O'Neill with a pair of goals. Will Bennett with a pair of goals for the uh, Bow Falcons, who are on a very hot roll in uh, boys lacrosse now at 11 and 0 on the season. And Coe Brown defeated Interlakes Moultonboro by a score of 11-5. to So uh, congratulations to the winners, and uh, better luck next time to those who uh, did not come out on top. 
NHL, well, the conference finals will be getting underway. They're all set. They'll start on uh, Thursday night. And where will they start? Uh, they will start in Raleigh, North Carolina, as the Carolina Hurricanes will take on the Florida Panthers. They are on a hot roll. It was the Florida Panthers who eliminated the Bruins from the Stanley Cup playoffs. So uh, Carolina and Florida in the Eastern Final. In the West, it'll be Bruce Cassidy's Vegas Golden Knights taking on the Dallas Stars, who uh, made their way in on uh, Monday night with a 2-1 to seventh game win over the Seattle Kraken. But uh, what a year for the Kraken, uh, making it to the uh, second round of the uh, tournament of the uh, NHL Stanley Cup playoffs. Uh, very young team, and uh, congratulations to the Kraken on a great season. NBA Conference Finals. They start tonight in Denver, where the Nuggets will be hosting LeBron James, Anthony Davis, and the Los Angeles Lakers. That'll be an interesting matchup uh, without any shadow of a doubt. And the Celtics, of course, wow. Sunday's game, unbelievable at uh, TD Garden. Jason Tatum, 51 points. All-time record for a seventh game of an NBA series. He broke the mark set just about a week and a half ago by Steph Curry of the Golden State Warriors, who had uh, 50 in a game. And Tatum with 51 in Game 7 against the Philadelphia 76ers as the, as the Celtics just blew the old barn doors off the 76ers and, uh, as it turned out, coasted to victory in Game 7. By the way, the uh, NBA draft lottery is tonight at 8, and the big prize is 7-foot-5-inch Victor Wembanyama. Victor Wembanyama of France. He's been talked about for years. The most anticipated NBA prospect in a long, long time. You'll be hearing that name a lot over the next few days. Victor Wembanyama. Whoever gets the first pick is going to take Victor. And we'll find out tonight who that team will be in the NBA lottery. Hey, Lots of real news yesterday, real big news, and we'll get to that in just a moment. Our guest will be coming up at 8.35, John Jennings, the author of The Uncertainty Solution, How to Invest with Confidence in the Face of the Unknown. We have a lot of unknowns out there these days. We'll take a break. We are presented by Northeast Delta Dental. Stay with us here on Kale & Company, WKXL, nhtalkradio.com. Kale & Company live on WKXL, nhtalkradio.com. We are presented by Northeast Delta Dental. Northeast Delta Dental has individual and family plans designed to fit your lifestyle. You can learn more and find your plan at Delta Dental Covers Me. Dot com. Oh boy, 
Late yesterday afternoon, a little after 4 o'clock, I would guess, oh, things really started to unfold. You remember John Durham, the uh, Trump-era special counsel, assigned, uh, assigned, I should say, to review the investigation of the former president's ties to Russia? Concluded authorities did not have, did not have sufficient information to open the case in the first place. I'm reading here from the publication known as The Hill. While Durham does not recommend any new charges in his 305-page report, he offers a scathing assessment of of the FBI's process and how it launched and carried out the investigation, which was known as Crossfire Hurricane. Now, the objective facts, this is according to the Durham report, show that the FBI's handling of important aspects of the Crossfire Hurricane matter were seriously deficient. Durham wrote, arguing that the Bureau relied on raw, unanalyzed, and uncorroborated intelligence. There was no intelligence that uh, it was uncorroborated and it was all incorrect, inaccurate. Report comes from uh, a roughly four year investigation into how the FBI launched a probe into the 2016 Trump campaign and possible contacts with Russia, 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 Russia. That's all we heard about when Trump was running from the Democrats anyway. Uh, Durham was appointed in 2019 by then-Attorney General Bill Barr to investigate the origins of the FBI probe, a move that former President Trump celebrated. Uh, Trump himself repeatedly raised expectations for the Durham probe, suggesting it would unveil the crime of the century, in Trump's words. Durham's investigation yielded multiple indictments, but limited results in court. Two individuals, Igor Danchenko, and Michael Sussman were charged with lying to the FBI and found not guilty, and a third individual pleaded guilty to doctoring an email about a surveillance warrant. I am uh, quoting here from the uh, report, as the more complete record now shows there are specific areas of crossfire hurricane activity in which the FBI badly underperformed, and failed, not only in its duties to the public, but also in preventing the severe reputational harm that has befallen the FBI as a consequence of Crossfire Hurricane. Importantly, the, had the Crossfire Hurricane actors faithfully followed their own principles regarding objectivity and integrity, There were clear opportunities to have avoided the mistakes and to have prevented the damage resulting from their embrace of seriously flawed information that they failed to analyze and assess properly. Among the uh, other items that the Durham report uh, includes, criticism of the FBI's inability to corroborate any of the Steele dossier which contain a series of salacious allegations about Trump and his possible ties to Russia. He likewise 
criticizes the use of the dossier as a basis for securing a warrant to spy on then-Trump campaign advisor Carter Page. He also criticized the Bureau for failing to provide a defensive briefing to the Trump campaign before moving ahead with the investigation. It was uh, the Steele dossier, if if you're not familiar, because most of the media hit it, funded by who? The Clintons funded the Steele dossier, a salacious investigation. It was all made up of, uh, of Donald Trump. So anyway, FBI, Federal Bureau of Insanity, responded Monday to the scathing report by Special Counsel John Durham that found the Department of Justice and the FBI failed to uphold their mission of strict fidelity to the law when it launched the Trump-Russia investigation. In a statement to Fox News Digital, the agency touted what it said were dozens of corrective actions already implemented as a result of the Durham investigation. Don't you think, guys, it's a little too late to make those corrective measures? (laughs) The conduct in 2016 and 17 that Special Counsel Durham examined was the reason that current FBI leadership already implemented dozens of corrective actions, which have now been in place for some time. Had Had these reforms been in place in 2016, the missteps identified in the report could have been prevented, said the FBI. Thank you. The report reinforces the importance of ensuring the FBI continues to do its work with the rigor, objectivity, and professionalism the American people deserve and rightly expect, it added. Where was all that rigor, objectivity, and professionalism when Sir James Comey was running the FBI into the ground? Fox obtained uh, Durham's report Monday afternoon after his years-long investigation into the origin of the FBI's original investigation that was crossed by a hurricane. That investigation looked into whether Trump and the campaign coordinated with Russia to influence the 2016 presidential election. Durham gave his final report to the Justice Department, which it released Monday afternoon. The report spans more than 300 pages, and uh, the report said, based on the review of Crossfire Hurricane and related intelligence activities, we conclude that the FBI failed to uphold their mission of strict fidelity to the law in connection with certain events and activity activities described in the report. Durham said his investigation also revealed that senior FBI personnel displayed a serious lack of analytical rigor towards the information that they received, especially information received from politically affiliated persons and entities. Yeah, the Clintons, the Obamas. Uh, it's true. Uh, this information in part triggered and sustained crossfire hurricane and contributed to the subsequent need for special counsel Mueller's investigation. The report said, in particular, there were significant reliance on investigative leads provided or funded directly or indirectly by Trump's political 
opponents. And we know who those were. So there you go. The department in the report says, did not examine or question these materials and the motivation of those providing them. Even when, at about the same time, the director of the FBI, James Comey at the time, and others learned of significant and potentially contrary intelligence. You know, I have to, uh, I did not see all three of the network newscasts last night. I'm talking about CBS, NBC, and ABC. I did see ABC. And you know what, folks? They actually mentioned the story. They mentioned it. They mentioned that story on ABC last night during the David Muir uh, 6.30 newscast. I was quite surprised that they, uh, that they even mentioned it because, you know, normally uh, if it's anything, anything that even smells like it might be a little bit of exoneration for our former president of the United States, Donald Trump, they shy away from that. Because, you know, the ABC, CBS, NBC, if it's, if it's pro-Trump or anti-Biden, they shy away from it. You know that. So at any rate, they did mention it on ABC last night, the final report from uh, John Durham, and scathing, scathing comments there and investigation about uh, the FBI. So there you have it. Uh, lots of things, lots of things going on, news-wise. In fact, uh, the IRS yesterday removed its entire investigative team in the probe of Hunter Biden. That's according to uh, a report. So the IRS is no longer pursuing the misdoings of presidential son, Hunter Biden. There you have it. That's uh, yesterday's news in brief. Coming up, we'll talk a little bit about investing with our guest, John M. Jennings, author of The Uncertainty Solution, How to Invest with Confidence in the Face of the Unknown. We'll take a break. Kale and Company Live will return, we think. We are presented by... Northeast Delta Dental. Stay with us. Welcome back. It is Kale and Company Live right here on WKXL. NHTalkRadio.com. We are presented by Northeast Delta Dental. And our guest on this portion of the program is John M. Jennings, author of the book, The Uncertainty Solution, How to Invest with Confidence in the Face of of the unknown. John, we welcome you to the program. Great to have you with us. Great. Thanks for having me. Good morning. Well, good morning to you. And I think you're an hour behind us. So, uh, what, 7.35 where you are right now? Yeah, I'm in St. Louis, Missouri in the central time zone. But yeah, I've been up for two hours anticipating our talk. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Well, and I understand you're a big St. Louis blues fan. Oh, yeah, huge. I have season tickets and, uh, you know, we, we didn't make the playoffs this year, but we've, we've been a pretty good team. But um, I'm disappointed that Seattle Kraken lost last night, but it looks like we have a good four going into the conference final. Yeah, no no doubt about that. All warm-weather states. <laughs> so, I know, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, I'm sure this is not what the uh, inventors of hockey in the early 1800s thought uh, w- would happen. You know, it's a little <laughs> a little hard to believe uh, since Edmonton uh, was eliminated the other night. Uh, no Canadian team has won the Stanley Cup now in 30 years. I know. Toronto yeah. back in 93. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah, it, it really is. I, I, I do remember the last time the St. Louis Blues won the Stanley Cup, though. And yeah, it was, 2019. It wasn't too pleasant for folks around here. Not not a good memory for us in the New England. Oh era. no, not for <laughs> not for Boston. And um, yeah, this year uh, also quite the disappointment for Boston. And oh, I'll tell you, yeah. in 2001, the Blues won the President's Cup. Didn't have quite the record the Bruins had, but exited in the first round, uh, you know, by the Sharks. And I, I feel your guys' pain. Yep, uh, and there was a lot of pain around here. At least we have the Celtics now to, to cheer for, but uh, that was a yeah. tough, tough uh, ending for the Bruins. Anyway, yeah. well, we'll talk a little, bit of, a little bit about your book, although we might hire you as our hockey analyst. I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, you, you try to uh, set the record straight and do a good job of it uh, regarding the uh, wealth management industry. That's, that's pretty much what it's all about. Yeah, I think... Um you know, one of my my main goals in writing the book was really to shed some light on the investment management industry. And, you know, I call it, um, you know, uh, the book and when I go out and speak, you, you know, at conferences, spreading truth and transparency. And that's that's really what I do in my book. Well, you talked in the book about mental models. Uh, what What are mental models? Yeah, this was a concept that was pioneered by Charlie Munger, who uh, many people know, but he's Warren Buffett's business partner. And a mental model is just a model, you know, uh, that we keep in our heads about how things work in the world. And what Charlie Munger says is that you need to create a lattice work of these mental models, or I like to think of them as like arrows in a quiver. And you pull them out at different times when you're making decisions. And, And again, it's you know, we, we react to uncertainty, we react to, um, you know, volatility in the markets, et cetera, sometimes with fear or emotion or greed or these underlying things. And what I've discovered is that great investors fall back on mental models that help them have better uh, decision-making abilities and to practice better investment behavior. So that's really what the book is about. I have 35 investment mental models in the book, many of which are applicable to real life outside of investing as well. Uh, some of the top investors of our time, like the aforementioned uh, Warren Buffett, uh, seem to go against the trends uh, in the market. Explain that. Yeah. So, you know, the markets are what's known as efficient, which mean, which means, you know, everybody basically has the same information or access to the same information at the same time. Um, So it's very hard just based on information to do a better job than anybody else. But as humans, we succumb to all sorts of biases and different ways that we deal with the uncertainty in the markets. And if you have a cool head, you can, you know, go against the herd. And really, if you think about it, if you just do what everybody else does, you're going to earn what they do. But if you can do something different and have a longer-term perspective, you end up doing better. And I think that's, you know, that, that's the, the commonality among most great investors. You also talk about in the book the fact that the stock market 
is not the economy, correct? Yeah, and it would be nice if it were, yeah. <laughs> but, it's, but it's not. Yeah, so, so what's fascinating is what's going on in the economy, or think about you know, financial news, does not tell you what's going to happen in the stock market. And this is so important to understand as an investor, because we can look ahead and say, oh, you know, we may be entering a recession, maybe not. Maybe you have some thoughts on you know, the path of interest rates or inflation or you know, geopolitical worries. But that doesn't tell you what's going to happen in the stock market because the stock market predicts the economy-ish, sort of, but the economy does not predict the stock market. And, and this makes sense because everybody in the stock market is an intelligent to varying degrees. They're watching each other. They're learning. They have feedback loops. So a great example was in March of 2020. Remember when you know COVID was hitting um, between you know, February 26th and March 23rd, the stock market declined almost 35%. But on March 23rd, which ended up being the bottom, the the market rebounded by 70% between March 23rd and December 31st of that year, we had only reported our thousandth COVID death. So if somebody had said, wow, on March 23rd, we're going to have 336,000 deaths by the end of the year. And, you know, hockey and basketball and all these sports are going to shut down. You can't travel internationally. Um, you know, school's going to go virtual, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And this isn't going to just last a few months. This is going to last about two years. I think we all would feel like we should just bury our money in the backyard. But the stock market bottomed. And that happened in 2008 and 2009. And it happens over and over again where the stock market moves way in advance of good news. So what this means as an investor is that it may be disappointing, but it should be freeing. You don't need to be up on everything that's going on in the economy and the financial markets in order to invest well. Uh, instead, assume that you don't know and that nobody else knows and you know, invest thinking about the next 20 years, not about the next you know, two days, two weeks, or two months. Our guest is John Jennings, author of The Uncertainty Solution, How to Invest with Confidence in, in the Face of the Unknown. John is president and chief strategist of St. Louis Trust and Family Office, a $15 billion, with a B, dollar wealth management firm. And John, uh, what does good investing behavior look like? Yeah, there's a few best practices. Um, you know, one that's very important is to set your default as being inactive instead of active. And what I mean is don't touch your portfolio, except rarely. And in order to do that, it's better to not look at it. So I wish, you know, we could set things up for our clients where we only looked at their portfolios once a year. <laughs> you know, that would make the behavior easy uh, compared to what it is now. But what happens is, whether you're an individual investor or even a professional investor, study after study after study has shown that on average, the investment decisions we make are bad ones. That whatever we sell, on average, tends to outperform what we buy. So what this means is, is every time you trade, on average, you're making a bad decision. And again, supported by all sorts of studies. So, that, you know, if I had to say, what is the one thing 
you know, the, the most important about investment behavior, it is choose inactivity. And there was this great study that looked at 10 years of data for 35,000 brokerage accounts and found that the top performing investors were single females, followed by married females, followed by married males with single males bringing up the rear. And the reason the single females led the pack is they traded the least. They were equally as bad as picking investments, but because they traded less, they you know ran away. You know they they, they traded forty five percent less than the the single male. So it's just really a great lesson. Yeah, that we should it, trade it, trade it, as little as possible. It is. I, I think males tend to be uh, they they want to be like general managers in, in a sports yeah. in in sports. You know, and sometimes they say in sports. The, the best trade is the one you never made. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, males are more overconfident when it comes to finances and investing. Yeah, there you go, and that your study uh, proves it. John, can you stay with us for a few more minutes? Sure. John M. Jennings, our guest, author of The Uncertainty Solution, How to Invest with Confidence in the Face of the Unknown. We'll take a break. Kale and Company continues right here on WKXL and NHTalkRadio.com. We are presented by Northeast Delta Dental. Welcome back. Kale and Company live here on WKXL, NHTalkRadio.com. Our guest is John M. Jennings, author of the uh, new book, which is entitled The Uncertainty Solution, How to Invest with Confidence in the Face of of the unknown. One of the things that uh, we are certainly uncertain about these days, uh, John, is the uh, the national debt. Uh, do we raise the debt ceiling or, or default, or is there another solution? Uh, any thoughts on that? The idea of Congress, you know, the, the House and President Biden not raising the debt ceiling is unthinkable. Um I mean, to be the reserve currency, to have your U.S. Treasuries be considered the only risk-free asset in the world, and then to be tinkering with that uh, through politics is just ridiculous. And so I, I think the thought is that they will come to some sort of compromise before the U.S. runs out of money and starts defaulting. Um, you know, we saw this play out in 2011, very similarly, you know, uh, a resolution was found just before we hit really the, the spending limit, the, the, the cap on borrowing. But remember what happened then. U.S. Treasuries were downgraded by S&P. You know, really S&P saying, hey, you know, Congress and, and the president, stop messing around with this just amazing um, situation you're in with the reserve currency and risk-free assets and, you know, the backing of the, the federal government. And I fear even if it's raised in time, we may see another downgrade. We will we'll have to see. Um, but the thought is, is if they fail to do this, you know, the markets will react very swiftly and, and negatively. And, and you would think that Congress then would step in to act. But just imagine if you're receiving Social Security payments and maybe it's delayed or you're getting interest on treasuries and those are delayed. Uh, you know, the thought is, is they'll once the debt ceiling is raised, it'll be money good. You'll get your money, whether it's interest or Social Security or Medicare, what have you. But goodness, it's just a it's just a tragedy that we're in this situation. Yeah, no, no doubt about that. Uh, you, you talk about 
P.E. ratio uh, in your book, price to earnings ratio. Uh, can you expand a little on that? Yeah. So the the question is 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 there anything out there that will be predictive of what the stock market will do in the future? And over the next year, so if you look at you know all sorts of different financial metrics, whether it's price to earnings ratios or it's the level of dividend yields, or interest rates, or trend earnings growth, or GDP, which is economic growth. If you look at all those things, none of them predict what's going to happen over the next year in the stock market. Well, then the question is, is will they predict what's going to happen over the next 10 years? And again, pretty much none of them are predictive of what's going to happen over the next 10 years in the stock market. It's, it's, really, it's really quite incredible. Um, except for one, and that's price-to-earnings ratio. And what a price-to-earnings ratio is, whether looking at an individual stock or the stock market as a whole, is it tells you how expensive uh, you know, the investment is, whether it's the, the stock market or, or, or an individual stock. So it's, it's uh, you know, compared to its earnings. So really what it says is when price-to-earnings ratios are lower, it's like things are on sale, and when they're higher, things are more expensive. They're at a they're at a premium, and over a ten year time period, like looking at where they are today, there's about a forty percent explanation of what stock prices are going to be in the future. So it's an ish at best, and I think that's really instructive to investors to realize that the most predictive factor out there only gives you about forty percent of the explanation for what the stock market market's going to do over the next ten years. Yeah. So, so really, the point is 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 don't look to what's going on again in the economy to tell you what you should do with your investments. And a portion of your book discusses be aware of experts bearing predictions. Mm, yeah. <laughs> so economists and financial forecasters, investment forecasters, and political pundits are horrendous at predicting what's going to happen in the future. In fact, it's, it's not even that they're, they're just sort of bad. They, they make things worse because people will listen to them and they will act on them. And, you know, what I have in my book is discussions of some different studies and, and examples. And, you know, whenever we hear a confident expert tell us something's going to happen, whether good or bad, and it's better if it's good, it makes us feel less uncertain. And as humans, we've evolved to dislike uncertainty. And so I even find myself knowing all this, wanting to click on those headlines of, you know, I, I saw one the other day of a, of a bond guru, so an investment manager that you know, runs a huge bond portfolio that said, you know, he was going to say what was going to happen to inflation and interest rates for the rest of the year. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'd love to know that. <laughs> and I almost clicked on it, but then I reminded myself that investment experts are horrible at predicting what's going to happen. And in fact, the more confident they are, the worse their predictions end up turning out. <laughs> that is really something. Uh, uh, during the course uh, of, of the book, you, you refer to studies of psychology, uh, decision-making, and investment behavior, uh, certainly all important factors when it comes to what you do with your money. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, really, I started in earnest back in financial crisis trying to uncover investment wisdom and really get out of drinking from the, the fire hose of all the, the, the torrent of information and news that we all receive and, and say, you know, what is really important? You know, really, what's investment wisdom? 
And along the way, I, you know, collected a lot of studies and found that the most important factor in investing and investing successfully is really psychology and behavior. And if you get the behavior right, you know, you're 90 plus percent of the way there of, of being a successful investor. Like everything else pales in comparison to having the right behavior. Like I said, being inactive, being simple rather than complex. That's a, another uh, really good one. Not trying to predict or listen to predictions, what's going to happen in the future, not looking at your portfolio often. And I'll tell you, this may sound boring. People may be like, you know, practically driving off the road with boredom if they're listening to this in their car while they're driving. But I will tell you, successful investing tends to be boring. Things that seem exciting or you're excited about investing in often don't work out well. So if you look back the last 20 years, what are the top you know, 20 best-performing stock? You know, number one is Apple. But number two is United Healthcare. Number three is Humana. TJ Maxx is number 10. Yeah. <laughs> Sherwood Williams is number five. So there's a lot of stocks out there or investments that are more boring companies. And in fact, just buying index funds is even better than trying to pick those, those companies. And just set it, forget it, look at it once a year. That's, that's the best advice that I have. And that's good advice. You have to be patient, right? You can't pull the trigger yeah. too soon. That's, that's absolutely, absolutely right. And I'll tell you, this is true for investors of all sizes. So our, our firm, we work primarily with families in the you know, $100 million up range. So our average family has about $230 million. And you know, one reason I wrote the book is, is I've been fortunate to be able to work in a firm where we have access to basically all types of investments. And our clients are rich enough to have all types of investments. And again, what we found is behavior is the most important ingredient. There, there isn't just some amazing investment out there just for super rich people that regular people don't get. Um, I mean, the normal person can't really invest in venture capital, which has done well, or you know, private equity. But other than that, people with a more modest portfolio of $10,000 or $100,000 can invest as well as people with hundreds of millions or billions of dollars if they have the right behavior. And again, inactivity, simplicity, focus on low cost, low fee, uh, low taxes, those sort of things anybody can do. And if you do those sort of things, you will beat 90% of the investors out there of all wealth levels. Well, certainly some some great advice, uh, and that's that's the beauty of this book, John, is that uh, it, it's both for the the casual uh, investor and uh, financial professionals. Lots of uh, charts and graphs and and what have you. So you, you've done uh, you've done a terrific job. Great, thanks. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm proud of it. It's being well received. It's uh, uh, Amazon number one bestseller. So uh, it's it's been a fun experience for me. Absolutely. Are you working on anything now? Another another book, perhaps? Yeah, I have a second book that is, for right now, titled How to Be Wealthy. And it's not how to get wealthy, but once you're wealthy, and that really depends on uh, different factors, how to do it well, how to have purpose and happiness in, in, while you have you know abundance. So it should be interesting. John, we, we thank you very much uh, for, for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it. Uh, all right. And... Uh, 
you know, and enjoy the blues and uh, when their season begins in October. <laughs> yeah, I think we I think we might have a few seasons of rebuilding. I'm like unlike the Bruins, it should be all ready to go next season. <laughs> yeah. Well, John, thanks so much. We we truly appreciate you being with us. Great. Yeah. Thanks for having me. All Bye. right, John M. Jennings, the book, The Uncertainty Solution: Invest with Confidence in the Face of the Unknown. And there's certainly a lot of unknowns out there uh, these days, especially uh, when it comes to what to do uh, with the national debt. And that's uh, an issue that uh, we would all be impacted by if they uh, don't raise that debt ceiling, as John pointed out. And he knows a lot more about it than I do, for sure. That'll do it for this edition of Kale & Company. Thank you very much for joining us. We are presented by Northeast Delta Dental. They have individual and family plans designed to fit your lifestyle. Learn more and find your plan at DeltaDentalCoversMe.com. Have a great Tuesday, everybody.